I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. I hope your week has treated you well. Today, we are talking with Andrea Owen. is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. She's taught hundreds of thousands of women tools and strategies to be able to empower themselves to live their most kick-ass life through speaking, her books, coaching, and her wildly popular podcast with over 3 million downloads. She's the proud author of two books, which have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Her latest book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your Strength, is coming in August 2021. Andrea is a certified professional co-active coach from the Coaches Training Institute, a professional certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, a She Recovers coach, as well as a certified Daring Way facilitator, a modality based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. When she's not juggling her full coaching practice or writing books, Andrea is busy riding her Peloton bike, chasing her two school-aged children, or making out with her husband, Jason. She's also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. Andrea, you are so fun. I am so excited for you to be on the show. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah Jane. Thank you. I am fun. I will take that compliment and agree with it. (laughs) Um, um, So as you know, we start every episode with your rose, bud, and thorn. What are yours today? So my rose, that's the something great, right? Yes. Okay. Um, That would have to be that I'm excited that my parents are coming into town. I have not seen them since 2019. It's my mom and my stepdad. Sweet. And your, um, what about your bud? The bud, is that the one that you're looking forward to? Yeah. Maybe I got that mixed up. Um, I'm looking forward to, although it's, it's kind of, you know, not totally back to normal. I am looking forward to my kids going back to school and, um, they both love their school. So that's, that's a really great thing. Mm -hmm. And your thorn. My thorn is that I have to have a hard conversation with someone. I know you talk about boundaries here a lot and I have to have a hard conversation (laughs) with someone um, that's really difficult, but I am definitely not the person who ignores the elephant in the room. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I kind of, let's go into that because I know so many of my folks here are like, on their growth journey, right? They're like Mm -hmm. learning about themselves, they're expanding. And a lot of what we do with the Enneagram is about kind of the way you've operated, undoing some of that and doing something different, which means the people in your life are confused. (laughs) They're like, wait, you're not Mm -hmm. doing the things I'm used to you doing. (laughs) You're not like seeking to please me all the time. And so now there's this there's so many hard conversations that have to happen. Have you always been able to do that? Is that a learned skill? So yes and no. So I've always been, so I'm an eight on the Enneagram and I've taken it three times because like the first couple of times I took it, I'm like, there's no way. Like, because It's just too scary to be an eight. And then <laughs> but sure enough. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is the third time that I took it, this was, I think just maybe last summer, last fall, I tied with a seven, which doesn't surprise me. I'm getting older, uh-huh. and just, you know, maybe a little bit more worn out. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to be an eight, but I've uh-huh. always been the type who notices, you know, injustices and things going on and will point them out. But I haven't always been good at 
having a healthy, mature conversation. I used to be mm-hmm. confrontational. I used to be um, just a little bit more direct and assertive without taking into account other people's feelings and not really wanting to make room for a counter argument or to hear somebody else's side, which is incredibly not okay. Like it's dysfunctional and unhealthy. And it was never modeled for me growing up. I'm a Gen Xer. And for the most part, we grew up in families where no one talked about the hard things. No one talked about feelings or problems. Everything was swept under the rug. And I'm not just saying that's, you know, only for Gen Xers, but it's, it's a commonality that we have. And I had to learn, I had to learn that skill of, having hard conversations and speaking up from a place of kindness, from a place of objectivity, from a place of um, just maturity. And that I have honed over the years. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I have to do a little dance, but I can tell you what, being prepared is incredibly helpful when you walk into those conversations. Yeah. Being prepared. That's so like, how do we prepare ourselves? A couple ways. So for instance, this, this conversation that I'm having to have started with a meeting that was sort of an impromptu meeting I had with someone. Um, it's one of my kids at school principals and I kind of on a whim decided like, I'm going to go talk to her about this and met in her office for maybe five minutes. And the answers that she gave me to my questions were very unsatisfactory. I also felt dismissed and like she was very flippant about a very important Mm -hmm. conversation that I thought it was a very important conversation. And so I was so floored by her answers that I knew that now was not the time for me to try to plead my case or argue or anything. I was like, okay, I need to like take a few steps back and a few steps back and, and just, you know, recalibrate and prepare. So I think that um, the very first thing to do, and this isn't necessarily just with our family and people that we love and care about and that we're emotionally attached to, but it can be with like our neighbors or our school principal, is to start from a place of gratitude. I think that it it just sort of sets up the foundation of the conversation. No one wants to listen when they feel like the other person is being contemptuous or they're being, they're in trouble. You know, like if, if they immediately feel like they have to be defensive, they're probably not listening very well. So when we can start with something like, so in my case, I would say, I just want to tell you how happy I have been with my child's education. We are so glad that we switched schools. Um, I know that COVID has been incredibly difficult for the teachers and the staff. And I just want to thank you for all the hard work that you've put in. And Mm -hmm. I have a problem and here it is. So it's not a, but it's an, and, and, you know, you talk about what's going on. And then at the end of the conversation, you make a request. If you have a request, you might not, you might just need to get things off your chest. Um, but I have both. I have like, here's what I think about the conversation and what's happening. And here's what I'm asking that, that you do. And I would like a response by X date. So that's, mm-hmm. that's how I prepare. And of course it varies a little bit depending on, and if it's a work situation, if it's, um, you know, a family member. And I want to just say this one last thing is that when it's our family, especially our parents, those can be some of the hardest conversations we ever have. That's like PhD level mm-hmm. personal development right there. <laughs> it's tough. 
It's true. Uh, I love that you said start with gratitude because I think not only does that make them a more receptive listener, but I think it makes me a more gentle communicator because if I'm starting with like, because I, I, I don't know, I have a very strong eight wing, so I can be like quick to say, well, everything about this is messed up mm-hmm. and I'm right. And like, this is a bad situation. And instead of saying, well, some of the things here are really beautiful and really good mm-hmm. and they still disappointed me, but that doesn't make the situation terrible altogether. But that's kind of hard. That's like, you like, that's practice. It is. It, it really is. And I just, I, I just wonder, you know, how things would change in so many relationships if we showed up to our, our conversations from that place of, of love and compassion and understanding and openness instead of closed off, defensive, contemptuous, like, and, and trust me, I can be that way. Like that's my go-to, mm-hmm. <laughs> the latter. <laughs> so it does take work and intention to be compassionate mm-hmm. and understanding. And then for others, right, it's almost the opposite where it's like, yeah, I have all of the compassion and understanding in the world, but just like asking for what I want feels like ripping out my heart right? and saying, do you like this? Yeah. And I mean, even as an eight, and I'm also an Aries too, which is sort of like double whammy, but I'm still subject to the conditioning and socialization growing up in our culture, you know, as a, Mm -hmm. as a woman. And so there's still a part of me that pulls on people pleasing. And I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I want to be accommodating. Um, So it's this weird sort of push pull. So I have to very much listen to my gut and what's happening as well as ask myself, you know, this is a question that, that I love to ask people, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? And when I ask myself that my conditioning says, just don't say anything. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it's like, just go with what the principal says. She knows best for the students. But my truth is no, (laughs) my gut is saying like, we need to protect these kids in the community. And yeah. So sometimes those are two very different answers that you get when you ask yourself that question. Mm-hmm. Do you, so I know you talk about like internalized misogyny and I could talk mm-hmm. about it all day long. Um, so yeah, let's get into like, how are we limiting ourselves based off of, you know, we've basically been trained our entire lives to be accommodating, to be small, to be as unobtrusive as possible and just be like chill and cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how is that, you know, showing up in so many women's lives? You know, to be honest with you, Sarah Jane, like I didn't really dive into the whole topic of internalized misogyny until a couple of years ago. I was noticing, and I'm sure you did too, and a lot of people watching especially, or listening, especially the women, that in regard to Facebook ads in particular, that there was a lot of, you know, quote unquote, haters and mean girls commenting on other women's Facebook ads. Some of my colleagues, you know, were talking about it and how some of the meanest comments were coming from other women. Because a lot of times we expect that from men, you know, like making comments about a woman's body or just whatever. But they were coming from women and I just, it, it caught my attention. And I thought, why is this mm-hmm. happening? And then, and then we also hear women getting upset about it and saying like, women need to support other women and we need to lift each other up instead of tear each other down. And as someone who works in the women's empowerment industry, 
that also caught my attention. Like what's going on here? Why is it, why is a, why is this happening? And also Mm -hmm. is there something more to it than just the advice of we need to be just supporting other women? So for the record, I just want to say, I don't think we Mm -hmm. need to support all women all the time. I think that some women do Mm -hmm. behave poorly. That's not it. But what's happening when women are putting down other women if that's the internalized misogyny. So I don't know if I'm if I'm yeah. actually answering your question right, but how I see it manifest is through slut shaming, through chronic dieting, stereotyping. So just day before yesterday, I posted a TikTok that went viral and it was sort of like, I, I don't know how much you know about TikTok, but like I stitched this other guy's mm-hmm. video who was talking about like how to treat, oh, it's not that hard to treat a female. And he, he said female instead of woman, a female, right? Feed her, kiss her on the forehead. What else did he say? Um, it was this kind of like very surface level list of things. Mm-hmm. And so I stitched his video and I said, go to therapy, work on your misogyny, <laughs> call out other men on their misogyny, uh, support her emotionally. We're, t- we're tired of doing all the work. And so many women said, why are you so angry to me? Wow. And I was like, (laughs) how quickly we make that snap judgment that women who give a, an opinion where they are clear and direct and Mm self-confident, we call them angry and, or asking anything of men. Right. And Just one asking. woman even said, why are you so angry? At least he's trying. That was her comment. And I, mm-hmm. I pointed that one out because that's internalized misogyny that we, yeah. we settle for crumbs in our relationships that we, um, you know, we put down other women. We are overly competitive with other women. I do think healthy competition, obviously as an eight, I think healthy competition is great, but when it's unnecessary and especially when it is at the cost of your relationships for the proximity to men at the top, this happens in family circles as well as in the workplace. It's very interesting once you start to dig in and look at it. And it's also incredibly humbling I know I've had to look at a lot of the things that I've done, you know, dehumanizing Mm -hmm. sex workers and things like that, um, that we've just many times unconsciously been taught to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I come from the background of like being a girl's, a guy's girl and like having all my friends be boys and like, like not, and not realizing honestly that there was so much internalized misogyny, but also that like it was a lot of insecurities where that was coming mm-hmm. from. It's just like fear that women, women felt harder to please. Yeah. And like, I felt more intimidated by women than I did by men. And so I felt like I'll put, I'll be in control here by saying I only hang out with guys. Sure. But when I really, and I still like crave that female connection, you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. have that vulnerability and I just push through it and fight through it. But it used to manifest so much as like, oh, women love makeup and like nails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like how mm-hmm. mess, like it's but it was just about my fear that like I couldn't love those things without being trivialized. Right. Well and you bring up a really great point is that we many times, when I say we, I mean women, we have legitimate, um, you know, places where we've been hurt and even trauma that we've had at the hands of other women. I don't at all want to dismiss that, that that is very real. I've had women come to my retreats in the past and say, 
I have never trusted women. This is the first time mm-hmm. I've ever opened up and been vulnerable and felt safe in a room with other women. Or they've said to me as their coach, like, you're the first woman besides my therapist that I've ever trusted because they've been hurt. Either they have a mother wound or they've um, been betrayed by their girlfriends. And I, I want to say that because it's very real. And I don't want anyone mm-hmm. to think that they're wrong if they don't trust women. It, it very well could be the thing. But, but again, my question is, what is your conditioning? And Mm -hmm. what has actually happened to you that has formed those opinions and those beliefs? Yeah. And I think being, even being able for that person to even be able to say, I don't trust women. I think that that's a more honest statement Mm -hmm. than criticizing women because you feel scared. For sure. And I went through a long period of time where I didn't trust anyone. I had so much Mm -hmm. trauma and, and just really bad breakups and, and hardships from my friendships with women that I trusted exactly zero people. And I was Mm -hmm. very candid with my best friend. Like after several years, we had a very candid conversation. I said, I don't trust you fully. And it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what has happened to me in the past. In addition, I had to look at internalized misogyny that I had, and it just becomes in a way easier for us to try to be closer to men because again, we've been conditioned that that is the ultimate prize, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. uh, and we are rewarded for for those things, for that proximity to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love yeah when you phrased it like we're it's all about keeping men on top, mm-hmm. and I think that that is. I mean, that's just. I mean, I feel like that sentence is so important because us like that whole like. I think I I would call it a series of brainwashing that we've gone through totally in order to like not take, not put ourselves out there to not seek power, to not seek control in terms of like systemic, like systemic Mm -hmm. control and power. Um, We've learned all of these like subtle behaviors, right. Of just ways to not engage in the conversation so that men get to stay in the very comfortable, cozy power position. Yeah. And it, you know, I want to say this too, it's a very real risk for many women. So I'm sitting here coming, coming to you as a white, you know, cisgender heterosexual woman who has enormous amounts of privilege. I don't have that much risk when I do put myself out there, when I do speak up to the principal, when I do state my opinion, when I go and protest wherever I want to protest, there's not a lot of risk for me. There's more risk. There tends to be more risk depending on someone's class, depending on their racial identity, depending on their sexual orientation, if they're part of the LGBTQ community. So I, I want to I, I don't ever want to say like, I come from the place of like, you just have to put yourself out there. It's just that easy. Like, right. you know, shake, shake my fist at the sky and yell girl power. Like, of course that's true. And I think there's yeah. very real risk for, um, for certain women when they do quote unquote, rock the boat and take up space. Yeah. So what, how do we support each other in that process of taking that like very real? I mean, I, I love that you acknowledge like privilege, like same, mm-hmm. um, I'm like with you on the privileged bandwagon of like, yeah, it's easy for me to say this and easy for yeah. me to stand by this. And I believe, and I've had lots of black women speak to me about even just doing Enneagram work, like uh, type eight who's working on trust, who is a white woman is completely different than a type eight who's working on trust, who is a black woman. Like right. they have different evidence that trust is still not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And with that being said, how can we begin this journey? Like, what can I do on an individual level to kind of unwind some of this brainwashing, unwind some of this thinking? I think that, you know, one of the best questions that I would love to just leave, like if they take nothing else mm-hmm. from this interview, I would love for them to walk away with the question of what is my conditioning versus what is my truth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not a simple question to answer. It's something that you need to sit with. It's something you can journal on or talk to your trusted friends or your therapist with. And in, in my, my book, I ask the latest one that's coming out. I ask over 250 questions, the most questions I've ever asked in a book, because I want people to learn how to coach themselves. So it's questions like what was modeled for you growing up? I mean, let's just ask that, like what was modeled for you growing up in terms of friendships with women? Like what kind of friendships did your mom have? Did she talk about other women behind their backs? Did you hear her gossip a lot about other women? Did she make fun of other women's clothing choices or sexual partners or the, you know, her weight? And this is not to blame and shame your mom. She did the best that she could with the tools that she had. I'm sure that my Mm -hmm. daughter is going to talk about me in therapy someday. I guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) I tried my best, but I'm going to fail somewhere or her experience is she's going to take it not the way that I intended. But it's, it's for you to determine, you know, like it or not, our primary caregivers shaped us very much so. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us as adults to unravel what doesn't serve us you know, if we, if you want to work on forgiving them, fantastic. You don't have to, but that's where I would start. What is my conditioning versus what is my truth? What, what was modeled for me growing up in terms of success, money, leadership, power, power is a huge topic. Um, what do you, what do you think power is? Are you triggered by that word? Do you want more of it? What do you think power should look like? I just invite people to get extremely curious and think critically about their thoughts and beliefs and behaviors. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So often when I'm discussing growth with the Enneagram, I am asked, but how do we do it? How do I get from the unhealthy levels to the healthy levels? And honestly, the only real answer I have for you is therapy. It starts with therapy. Once we can identify where we are in terms of health and stress, we can take what we've learned and dive into it with our therapist. And listen, I totally understand that therapy can feel overwhelming. Like, where do I find a therapist? Can I afford it? What if I have an unpredictable schedule or I can't make it time away from the kids? That's where better help comes in. You may not even be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strain in your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. When there are things you can't tell anyone or feel like you can't unload to family and friends, you need to let it go. You need to talk to someone and that's what therapy can be. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if that's uncomfortable for you. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. You can unload the stressors, get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. 
see if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Enneagram and Coffee listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash egram. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash egram. Thank you, BetterHelp, for supporting the podcast. I love that you said you asked a significant amount of questions in this book because I think so often we're seeking answers from other people about who Mm -hmm. we should be, what we should do. And actually what we might need is just really good questions. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that way back when I feel like a dinosaur in this industry, but um, my coaching alma mater, that was one of the, the cornerstones of of learning the skills of being a life coach. And that was curiosity. And mm-hmm. as someone who tends to have dichotomous thinking, it's either right or wrong. It's black or white. There is no in-between and who feels very uncomfortable with the in-between, like the messy middle. Curiosity was the antidote for that. And just kind of pulling my foot off the gas and saying, okay, let me just look around and just wonder what this could be and don't have any judgment about it. Have lots of self-compassion because sometimes when we get curious, we find out things about ourselves that we don't really like, you know, it's shadow work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we start beating ourselves up for it. I have been there so many times and that will not help. No one beats themselves up into betterment. No one beats themselves up through self-care and comes out, you know, loving on the other end. Like you have to have self-compassion. It's necessary. For the folks who are listening, who are like, how do I start with self-compassion? Like, Mm -hmm. what is, what is step one on that journey? Cause I don't know where to begin. Yeah. Well, a really great teacher on that is, is Kristen Neff, um, N-E-F-F. I believe she's at self-compassion.org. She's a researcher from the university of Texas at Austin, who's been studying self-compassion forever. And she, I've read her book. I recommend it to a lot of my clients who struggle in this area, but Basically, and I think you can go to her site. I think it's still there where you can take a self-compassion quiz because there's sort of like different branches of it that she talks about and you can see where you need the most help and support. And it starts by, I mean, I'll just throw one thing out there. It starts by doing your best to talk to yourself as someone you love and care about. Um, I think that we would never talk to people that we care about the way we oftentimes talk to ourselves and what I teach people is once you start noticing it, once you start noticing that you're beating yourself up, that you have some kind of word or a mantra, short mantra that is neutral. So it's not a positive affirmation unless you want it to be. And that works for you. What I have found that neutral mantras or words help the most because all you're trying to do is create a pattern interrupter. That's it. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to believe a new thought yet. You're not bullying the bully by telling your negative self-talk to piss off, but it's totally neutral. So mine is when I see it happening, mine is, well, that just happened. Mm-hmm. That's all I say to myself. I'm just noticing it. And then I move on. 
And again, like Mm -hmm. brain science tells us that we can change our thoughts, like through neural, uh, you know, neuroplasticity. It's amazing. Like I geek out on brain science. Like (laughs) don't get me started. Mm -hmm. I love it. But I have done it. You know, it's, I've been working on it for 12 years now and my negative self-talk, I cut that off so fast. Like it's unbelievable. Like I could, if there was an Olympic sport (laughs) for cutting off negative self-talk at the onset of it. I would win a gold medal. Mm-hmm. It comes I in and that. I see it so fast. I'm like, nope, not today. Like you're just, you're not even, I barely let it get a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. I actually, so I think sevens tend to be naturally um, fans of themselves. Like we tend to be pretty chill with ourselves uh-huh. as long as we're happy and like doing well. <laughs> you know, we have our limitations. Entertaining people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I actually didn't really understand negative self-talk until my husband, who's a four, and he that's been his journey his whole life is just feeling worthy. And mm. we kind of had this conversation one time about like when something bad happens, what's your internal reaction? And my like my what I say to myself is like, it's okay, you're okay, you're okay, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And his is like a stream of, or was, you know, like a stream of just what's wrong with him and like what he could be doing better. All of these like shoulds. Okay. Yeah. And I just think, I just think it's so interesting how we, like the way we respond to, to negative things happening and like kind of how we naturally speak to ourselves. And, And I think what you saying like, yeah, that happened. Um, is just so, so freeing, like just so neutral and, um, it's because I think even for me saying like, it's okay, you're okay, is like this force nurturing where I'm like, you're going to be okay. You have to be okay. Because that's the seven mantra of just like like the seven natural tendency is like, you have to be okay. Everything has to be okay. Everything will be okay. But just kind of saying, yeah, that's, that is, that happened. Mm-hmm. So that's so free. interesting. So I, I want to ask you a question about Enneagram. Cause so is it true uh-huh. that the Enneagram is broken up into threes. And so um, eights, nines, and ones all react to uncertainty in the same way. And then two, threes, and fours in the same way. And then five, six, and sevens. There is like a three grouping around, and those are three centers of like head, heart, and body, and like anger, anxiety, and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then there's also kind of this compliant, reactive, and or compliant, assertive, and withdrawing types, which is how you respond to conflict. Okay. Okay. And they're kind of like three different groupings. Yeah. I read that somewhere. And I think that eights, nines, and ones react from a place of anger. And that Mm -hmm. was, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy (laughs) because I access (laughs) anger very easily. And I know that that can be very hard for women because we've been socialized and conditioned to not. And also I have felt ashamed so many times of being able to Mm -hmm. access anger so easily because we don't like angry women. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I wonder if that is connected to how we react to negative self-talk. Oh, for sure. I think so. A hundred percent. And I think Mm -hmm. about my husband and his being shame, you know, like that. And then mine being from the anxiety center of like, it's okay. I'm okay. It's going to be okay. Like that's such an anxious kind of reassuring of, of trying to calm the anxiety for sure. I love that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. 
I want to say like everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I have like a deep soft spot for eights, especially female eights, because we like female eights, especially like we're just not equipped yet. And I think having like healthy eights like you who are like empowering other women to find their voice, to speak up and to ask for what they want. Um, it's so important to, I think the progress of society. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, when you say like anger leads and I think there's such beautiful work in righteous anger done well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see a lot of political women on both sides of the political spectrum, um, who I see them and I'm like, I bet she's an eight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We are passionate and I think often misunderstood and also sometimes scared of our own power. I can't speak for all female eights, but women eights, but I, I do think that's been my experience and the experience of, of a few other eights that I've met, but also very important for us to remember that not everyone operates the same way that we do. And I've had to be very cognizant of that, that, um, my natural strengths are not the same as everyone's, but can be learned to some degree in a natural way for other women. Yeah, that is like, um, honestly, like Andrea, what you're saying is like Enneagram growth in a nutshell. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean, it's just magic. It's so beautiful to to hear. Like, just saying, like, I'm learning that my natural strengths aren't everyone's, but some everyone can experience them to some degree. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because like when we over function in our Enneagram type, we're it, it causes harm to ourselves and to others. <clears throat> But there's this like beautiful, healthy level of it that everybody needs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I don't know which one on the Enneagram, which type is really compassionate and the caretaker. Which one is that? Is that? The two. The two. I was going to say the mm-hmm. two. So I've had to learn that because when I, I just looked at my Enneagram scores and I think it was mm. nine that I scored the lowest on. Is that the peacemaker? Mm-hmm. So I scored yeah. the lowest on nine and then next in line was two. And I laughed because I had, I had to learn the skill of slowing down and having compassion, not only for myself, but for others. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, embarrassed and ashamed, you know, especially when I started coach training, because you really have to be compassionate when you're in a helping profession. you have to learn that if you don't already have it naturally. And, and I was embarrassed and a little ashamed that I I didn't know how to do that. And honestly, the Enneagram helped me understand Mm -hmm. and have compassion for myself and others that we aren't all born with the same strengths. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's so cool to hear you say that because when I, you know, we have the, these lines on the Enneagram where you move when you feel stressed or when you feel really safe and for eight, you move to two when like you feel really safe and you're really comfortable. And I think of that as well as like the place that you can go to find deep intentional rest. Mm-hmm. And so like this giving, this like helping profession is probably, I would imagine like a very nourishing thing for your kind of type structure. It is. And I, I don't think it was an accident that I ended up here. And so last year I hired a new therapist um, and I went through some pretty intense trauma therapy. And on the days when I saw my therapist, I had to do nothing else for the rest of the day. It was the first time I had experienced therapy where I could not just afterwards go about my day. I had to 
not every single time, but I would say like half the sessions I had with her, I would go to bed with my dog and a blanket and just lay there and just recover because it was so intense and difficult. And that experience helped me truly understand what trauma does to our body, um, how our experience throughout life can stay with us and, and offered me so much more compassion for myself and others when it comes to healing our, our hurtful life experiences. Yeah. I feel like when I hear you saying that, it's almost like you don't even know how much your body's holding. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrea, what else do you feel like you want to make sure we talk about before we get into our rapid fire today? Oh my gosh. Um, we can talk about Chacha de Gregorio from the movie Grace because I'm obsessed with her. People think it's um, Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped. It's one of those things like everybody more or less knows the movie Grease, at least the character of Sandy, Sandra D. And mm-hmm. it came up several years ago. I was, I was at an event and um, I was with a colleague and she came into my hotel room and we ordered room service and Grease was on TV. And we started talking about it and she said, who's your favorite Grease character? And I said, you know, without hesitation, I was like, Cha-Cha de Gregorio. She was like, Cha-Cha? Why? (laughs) And I said, because she tells people she just met that she's the best dancer at her school. And did you see her at the dance contest? Like she steals Danny, the best dancer away from Sandy because she knows she needs a great partner to win. And then she snatches the trophy out of the teacher's hand when, you know, she's about to hand it to her and she waves it around. And my friend was like, I never noticed that before. And mm-hmm. people hate Cha-Cha because, you know, no one really likes her. She doesn't have any other friends that are women. And it's such an interesting character from a movie that was so iconic in pop culture. I just don't think she's talked about enough. And as a child, I remember watching her and being both terrified of women like her as well as <laughs> intrigued and attracted and admired that. I mean, I'm a true eight <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I wanted to be her, but I knew she was wrong. I knew she was hated and no one liked her and she was not there to make friends. And so in reality, I don't encourage people to, you know, steal other people's dates and dance partners and, and not be a good sports person and snatch trophies out of, you know, teacher's hands. But if we can just look at it from a place of symbolism, she had more self-confidence in one little pinky toe than many Mm -hmm. of us do in our entire beings. And I just, I think she's such a great example of of what it means to fully embody self-confidence. Yes, she takes it to the extreme, but sometimes I think that you need that as a role model. Yeah. And I think like, I love that you use that as an example because it's, we could, adding a little bit of cha-cha into our personalities is only, is really just going to balance out kind of where we're naturally 90% of, of female identifying people in our society are like, overcompensating or, you know, uh, by diminishing themselves, making themselves small or being self-deprecating. So if we add just a little bit of that confidence and that kind of brazen self-love, mm-hmm. it, it's we're going to just even ourselves out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when I am faced with a difficult decision to make and I feel stuck, sometimes I ask myself, what would Cha-Cha do? You know, when I am sitting there in my daughter's principal's office 
having this conversation where I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to have to have a hard conversation. And then I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I'll just go along with what she said. And you know, what would Cha-Cha do? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. March her butt in there to have that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be oh, more like her. So good. Yeah. I like that. Like what would Cha-Cha do? I my new mantra. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Um, are you ready for rapid fire questions? This is my favorite part. Yeah. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. The first book that comes to mind. Um, let's see. Oh gosh. I'm on a, I'm on a fiction kick right now. And what is her name? Ashley Taylor, something she wrote Daisy Jones and the six Malibu rising (sighs) the seven husbands of um, Evelyn Hugo. I know that was more than one book, but she's a great author. You like fiction. I listen. I listened to Daisy Jones and the Six this summer and it was it's it went immediately up to like one of my top ten books. Okay, so I just started it and there's a lot of characters and as someone with ADHD, like I have a hard time. Oh yeah. Like and I'm like, okay, and there are all these guys and they're all in a band. And anyway, so but a friend of mine yeah. said stick with it. It gets better. Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll it, get it. It does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And worst case scenario, I listened to the audiobook and it felt easier. So okay. worst case scenario you could swap over. But that's true. So that's good. true. I just started it. I'm excited for you. Um, Okay. A favorite song? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think the first one that comes to mind right now is kind of embarrassing. It's such a classic is Leonard Skinner's Freebird. We just watched Forrest Gump over the weekend with our son and that whole soundtrack is fantastic. I love Leonard Skinner. Love it. Something you wish people knew about you? Um, That... Gosh, I feel like I'm such an open book. There's not a whole lot that people don't know about me. I think that like we sort of touched on at the end of the day, my heart just bleeds for people. Like, yes, I'm a true eight and an Aries and a fire sign and all of those things. And I don't take shit from anybody. Sorry if I'm not supposed to cross on your show. No, you're good. But um, I, at the end of the day, have so much heart that I, I have to work on my emotional boundaries because I'm just, I go all in. Yeah. And I love that you said that because eights, I think are one of the gushiest, loving, most giving types. Mm-hmm. And there's, they take care of so many people and they have so much capacity, but a lot of people don't know because it's like, you're so protected. So well-guarded that, we don't always know the, see the loving side. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Our, our, I know that Aries are, but our eights also highly protective. Yeah. Yeah. My best friend For says sure. that she's like, that's how you show your love, Andrea. Like that, mm-hmm. like I, I will cut somebody <laughs> for the people that I care about. Like you don't want to cross me. Like I'm still mad at somebody yeah. who crossed my best friend and she's already forgiven them. And I'm like, I have not. <laughs> no. I know. Yeah. And I, t- I talk about like, don't hold grudges, but <sighs> it's not always easy. I can't help it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, your dream day, what are you doing? I'm at the beach and somebody carried all my stuff for me. So I don't have to carry anything. Oh yeah. Um, and there's like access to food and all the sunscreen I need <laughs> and an umbrella <laughs> and, um, yeah. And a really great book. That's the first time I've heard someone describe the beach as a ginger. And I thought I would do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
as long as you have appropriate shade and sunscreen. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Give me the shade. Give me the sunscreen. Make sure everything I need is there. Yeah. Take all the pain points out of this and I'll be solid. Yeah. Mine is just, I, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties with no sunscreen and now I'm in my forties and I'm like, I need an umbrella mm-hmm. <laughs> or else I'm an instant bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not playing with time anymore. No, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Your final meal. What are you eating? Um, I probably go like full sodium and fat and fried and go with <laughs> some chicken fried steak with gravy and mashed yeah. potatoes and corn with butter and no salad because <laughs> I will have had one for lunch. But yeah. yeah, like that, I can't, when I eat that now, I like swell up and everything. So that's what I would do. <laughs> I love that for you. I'm excited <laughs> for your final meal. Thank you. And the last one is just, I like to ask for a food for thought, something that people can leave kind of keeping in mind or thinking on throughout the day. I would really, I don't want, I don't like to give people a sip of water from a fire hose. So I am going to reiterate what we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and the question of what is my conditioning versus what is my truth and pick, Mm -hmm. pick a lane in your life. Maybe it's finances, career, um, you know, a partnership that you're in, if you're in sales and you're, you know, having a hard time with that, whatever it is and think about maybe journal on what is your conditioning? Like what was, what did our culture and society tell you it meant to be a good woman in that particular lane? And what is your truth? Hmm. So good. And where can we keep in touch and where can we find your new book? So andreaowen.com and there's tons of bonuses. As I mentioned, I ask over 250 questions in the book and we created a free workbook for people because there's not enough room in the margins for people to write their answers. So it's at andreaowen.com slash noise. And I have a lot of fun on TikTok and Instagram. I'm at Hey Andrea Owen over there. Oh, and my podcast is called Make Some Noise too. Yes. And we will link all of that in the show notes. You all can find it so easily. Um, Andrea, this was such a good conversation. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Sarah Jane. And I just want to thank everybody who's listening. I just am truly grateful for their time.